0: Thank mm-hmm. you. welcome to episode 69 of Some Like It, Scott. I'm Scott Harvey, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Scott Shelton. We are in the thick of Oscar season, and today we will be reviewing a movie with gold statues on its mind, Richard Jewell. But first, Scott, how are you doing? Are you ready for the holidays? And more importantly, are you ready for the rise of Skywalker?
1: I am ready for the holidays. I think I'm ready for the Rise of Skywalker, but but who knows? We had a, a very hot conversation in our in our chat earlier this week about some comments that were made off camera, uh, but in front of a microphone uh, for some reason that I cannot understand or explain why they were said in front of a microphone. Uh, but yeah, I think still, nevertheless, in spite of all of that and some new newly found feelings about some of the members of the cast, uh, I am ready for the Rise of Skywalker.
0: Yeah, no, I am too. I am going to. We're recording this on Monday, so I'll be going to Thursday night premiere. I know you won't be able to see it for a little bit, but I am very much looking forward to going to this movie on Thursday, even if I'm not emotionally prepared for. It. I mean, I should be emotionally prepared because we've like been preparing for this movie for two years. It seems crazy. We've that been it's doing a podcast here. for
1: months on it. <laughs>
0: yeah, uh, it seems crazy that it's finally here, but yeah. uh, I'm ready for for Thursday, and I hope that uh, hope that it's very good because I. You know, I want to see it again, probably with my dad and brother, um, maybe even this weekend to get, see it a second time. Um, yeah, see it Sunday night with me. So I hope it's good. I hope I hope Ray's parents don't get retconned. Um, or oh, else they I'm are. dude. It's
1: themselves. happening. <sighs> don't 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 put me through that. Um, hey, all, all I need, all I need to, like, comfort myself right now is that, as of right now. Ryan Johnson's trilogy is that is the slated trilogy of Star Wars movies in 21, 23, and 25. And after rewatching The Last Jedi, I'm feeling uh, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm excited about that. Well, I don't want to
0: bring you down, but there's no way there will be a Ryan Johnson Star Wars movie coming out in 2021. I think that they're going to try to keep him away from Star Wars for for quite a while, um, for the time being. I think to let things simmer down and may, maybe
1: history will be kinder
0: to The Last Jedi. I mean, we're both fans of it, but. Certainly, there are a
1: lot of people who aren't. So. Yeah, I mean, anyone who's been listening to the Star Wars countdown uh, mini series that we've been doing will know that The Last Jedi has is my favorite Star Wars movie, and uh, I think that I think that The Rise of Skywalker will have to surpass my current expectations for it to beat out The Last Jedi as the best Star Wars movie for me.
0: Yeah, that's fair. I think I probably feel the same about The Force Awakens, um uh, which is my favorite, but you know, we have JJ Abrams involved here, so I think if anyone can best that, then it's probably JJ again. But uh we will see. What are the chances uh,
1: there's a Death Star in this movie, do you think? We we should have asked that in our last episode. Do you think that he's going to bring back a bigger star killer base?
0: Surely surely not, right? Like surely he knows at this point that people are so tired of the Death Star. I mean, it's been th- basically 3 movies we have had the Death Star in. Like It can't happen again, surely. Come on, J.J., we're pleading with you. We know you're listening. We're pleading with you. Um, Okay, Scott, well, before we can witness the conclusion to the Skywalker saga, we do have some other business to attend to, and that is reviewing Richard Jewell. Richard Jewell is the 41st film from director Clint Eastwood, and like last year's The Mule, it tells a true story. Unlike The Mule, however, however, Eastwood does not star in Richard Jewell. Instead, it's Paul Walter Hauser who takes on the titular role of Jewel, a lonely security guard with, living with his mother, played by Kathy Bates, in Atlanta during the 1990s. Jewel has dreams of becoming a law enforcement officer, but until he can, he's stuck patrolling Centennial Olympic Park during the festivities surrounding the 1996 Olympic Games. One night, however, his life changes forever when he discovers a suspicious package in the park that turns out to contain three pipe bombs. Jewel is able to rescue hundreds from the bomb's blast and is initially hailed a hero. But soon, a hard-nosed FBI agent, played by John Hamm, and an enterprising journalist, played by Olivia Wilde, target Jewel as the chief suspect in the bombing. With the help of his lawyer, Watson Bryant, played by Sam Rockwell, Jewel must work to clear his name, even as the increasing media and law enforcement attention threatens to ruin the Jewel's lives and forever change how Richard sees the job of law enforcement. Scott, is Richard Jewell another worthy entry in Eastwood's decorated filmography or does Eastwood exploit Jewell's story for his own personal gain?
1: Yeah, good question. I think it's a good question because so much of the conversation going in before anyone even saw Richard Jewell or at least anyone, any like critical mass of people saw Richard Jewell was, is this, you know, a film that, of course, is a really interesting and compelling story to tell. But is it being told? Is it going to be told by Eastwood in a way that like promotes his own political agenda? And even after the fact, people have been debating this, you know, whether it's, you know, I mean, it's definitely not political propaganda, but is it pushing a message that you know is conservative in a Trumpian way that's relevant because you know fake news things like that? And to me, it didn't come off that way. I'll be honest, I didn't I didn't feel that uh, when I watched the movie. I, I I do think that the movie does make a caricature of. Uh, Kathy Scruggs, which is the journalist played by Olivia Wilde, to the point where, you know, maybe that person was like that in real life. But wow, was that person a cartoon in real life? If that's the way uh, if that is the way that she acted and behaved. And uh, I think that there's definitely some kernel of truth in the in the performance and in the way that it was written. But to me, I I did one of the tougher things for me to get past in this film. I thought one of the weaknesses of it was kind of the the characterization and the narrative of the supporting cast that they felt too one dimensional. And maybe that's the way they were in real life. Maybe it wasn't, but it did feel a little bit that way, but to move away from that and talk about the aspects of the film at a high level, at least that are worthy of Clint Eastwood's, you know, very decorated filmography. And to what you were saying is that I said this in my letterbox review, and I will not hide the eight ball. I think this is the best acting performance especially by a male in a lead role that I've seen in years. Like Paul Walter Hauser is absolutely incredible. I think that he should win the Oscar. Everything I've seen most of the, I think, best acting performances that we expect to be in the race come Oscar season right now. I think he's head and shoulders above all of them. I think that he's head and shoulders above the competition last year. I think he's head and shoulders over the competition the year before. I think that this is just such a phenomenal performance and – you know, like all good performances, there's a particular moment in the film uh, where you realize how good the performance really is. And there is that point in this movie. We can talk about it. I'm sure it's a very um, dramatic scene between him and Sam Rockwell's Watson Bryant. And I think that Paul Walter Hauser kicks it up another notch somehow uh, off of already uh, a role that felt like he was born to play in a, in a way. And we'll see in future films, whether he's able to, you know, kind of extricate himself from, uh, a similar kind of role that he's played across a couple of different films. Obviously there's different flavors across all three of them, but uh, his performance, his very, you know, very minor role in I, where he's playing, you know, a character role uh, for sure. Same is true for black Klansman last year uh, when he was playing a member of the KKK. And then Richard Jewell seems like kind of the, the climax of that kind of three film narrative for him playing this, you know, type of character role. I think this one is much more nuanced and obviously he has way more to do as the lead role here. And he does it perfectly. I think that you know, Kathy Bates, who's getting more awards consideration, yeah. it seems like I, I she does fantastic. She does a fantastic job, but I still think she's overshadowed by Paul Walter Hauser in in this movie. um and 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 maybe that's just the nature of the supporting actress versus the best actor field this year. But I mean, she was she was great. Don't get me wrong. but uh, I don't know how the entire conversation in this film isn't about Paul Walter Hauser in uh, that performance because I think this performance lives and dies by it. I think Sam Rockwell is also good, um, but maybe a slightly a re- relegated to a slightly different different role and a maybe less interesting or less nuanced role uh, than maybe some of his other award-winning films um, that he's been in more recently. But overall, I think that uh, Clint Eastwood does well directing Paul Walterhauser and the Jewel component of this family. I don't know if he masters kind of the, the full picture of what was going on. Uh, but that, that's the nature of film, and that is what it is.
0: Yeah, no, Scott, I, I definitely have some problems with the film that we'll get into. But I think this is one of Eastwood's better efforts in years, for sure. Um Better than The Mule. And I, I mean, I liked The Mule. I think he's having a, a pretty decent Twilight era here in terms. I mean, it's amazing that he's still churning out movies. Uh, you know, he had two last year, you had this one this year. Yeah, one uh, of those being
1: 1517 to Paris.
0: Though. Well, yeah, we don't have to talk about that one. But um, but yeah, but I mean a, a two years in a row, he's had, you know, solid true story movies coming out at this period of the year that I think um have really gotten the job done for me. And I think Richard Jewell even more so, maybe just because I connect with the story a little bit more. And I was, of course, familiar with the story, you know, long before this movie came out. In fact, Scott Wynn. I have to, you know, humble brag here when they were casting this movie before before the they had even cast it, you know, when we were just talking about uh, that this movie was happening. Yeah, I think uh, Sam Rockwell was the only cast that had that had been announced yeah, at the time. I said to you Paul Walter Hauser needs to play Richard Jewell and yeah. you know, eventually he was cast. And it turns out I was right, but I did not know how right I was until I watched the movie cuz I, I don't know that I would go as far as you talking about the performance, but uh, it's an outstanding performance. It's absolutely worthy of Oscar consideration. If not, you know, what should win the, the Oscar for best actor? I think um, we'll we'll maybe talk more specifically, but um, it this isn't just one of those performances that is like a hair and makeup job, right? Because when I say that I thought Paul Hauser should play Richard Jewell, I was mainly going off of his appearance, right? Because he does look a lot like the real Richard Jewell. And, you know, I... I obviously we have some sense of what he can do as an actor from those movies you mentioned, but um, I don't, again, I, I, even, even though I said that I don't think I anticipated exactly what type of performance that he was going to give here, but I think it's, it's a spectacular performance and it's, it's the, it is the highlight of the film. Um, I don't think it's the only highlight of the film though. I, I like the way that Eastwood directs the story. I think that Eastwood is a perfect director for this type of story because, you know, he's a very straightforward director. That's what he's, you know, been known as for most of his career. There's not, you know, a ton of subtlety or nuance to a lot of his movies. He's just, you know, straight straightforward in uh, telling the story that is at the heart of most of his movies. And I think that's perfect for this movie, right? Because of what this movie is saying about, you know, telling stories with maybe your own agenda, your own biases, um, you know, predetermined in the way that you tell the story. Imposing your own biases and your own agenda, you know, on, on a story that um, you know, may, maybe isn't warranted. Maybe the facts don't justify imposing those biases on there. I think that's certainly the case with Richard Jewell. Uh, so I think it makes sense that he has sort of this straightforward, you know, just the facts um, way in which he tells the story. Now we'll talk about you know, the way he depicts certain characters. And uh, maybe we think, whether we think as straightforward as it may be, if it's that it's furthering his political agenda. Um, I think I tend to agree with you that it doesn't necessarily, uh, but I have some other thoughts as well. Um but I think overall, you know, it, it's it's one of those stories that it would be hard to mess up a movie like this, especially with the cast that Eastwood assembles here. And he doesn't mess it up. Right. He he tells it. It's down down the middle um, biographical drama. Uh, but those performances, I think, really elevate it to another level. Um, and there are some really standout scenes in the movie. Uh, and, and, you know, it as straightforward as it may be, it does have some relevance Um in you know the media age that we find ourselves in today, uh, even if maybe Eastwood is a little extreme with his criticism of of certain um, aspects of the media and law enforcement, um, I think that uh, there are still there there are definitely still vital takeaways from this movie, um, and I think you know that's exactly what uh, you know why a story like Richard Jewell. What happened to Richard Joel continues to stick with us um, even today, and why well, I think he's was a great director for this. So yeah, I'm I'm positive on this movie overall. I I did uh, really enjoy it, and and it mostly delivered on what I expected from the movie. All right, Scott, let's get into those performances now, and let's start by talking about the guy that we've already highlighted as the highlight of the film. Paul Walter Hauser, Scott, you said this is the best performance by an actor by a leading actor in years. Do you want to talk more specifically about what you think it is that makes this performance so special?
1: Yeah, I think it's one of those one of those things that I think really sets apart a lead role for me is that even when I know the actor who or actress who, who's playing that part, is the person able to di- like do I no longer see the person and uh you know the actor and I just see the character on the screen. And I think that, you know, if that's criteria number one, I think Paul Walter Hauser does that really well. Maybe he has the luxury in that respect of not having been someone who's headlined any movie before, at least not to my knowledge, at least not a mainstream movie. And, you know, maybe he has the benefit of that. But I've seen him in other things, and I think of him uh, for these types of parts. So it's not like he's, you know, in the recesses of my mind and someone I never think about in terms of the performances that he that he gives, but he's able to disappear into that Richard, Richard Jewell role. And I think that some actors you know tom hanks as an example of someone who i think maybe some t- at times like struggles to th- these this day and age give performances where he disappears into the roles that he's doing i think that maybe a beautiful day in the neighborhood is an exception to that but before that i think maybe he's some he's an actor who you know is well regarded really checks a lot of boxes when it comes to strong performances but sometimes it's really hard to not see tom hanks or not hear tom hanks uh, in his many forms that you, you might say like even and I think that's even true for Toy Story right like um you know even even a movie like Toy Story where it's hard not to just hear Tom Hanks at some point uh, rather than Andy not Andy sorry Woody um, but anyway back to Paul Walter Hauser I think so I think that's one box they check and then I think the second one is that he just nails the emotion every emotional note in this film from what he what he's doing I mean you have the start where you know, at first I was a little bit surprised that it was starting 10 years before, uh, you know, 1996, it starts in 1986. And he has these conversations with, you know, a younger version, of course, of Sam Rockwell's Watson Bryant. And, and you, I think that I was at first skeptical of that, of those scenes. And I was like, cause this is really necessary. Did I really get anything other than that? He's a, he's maybe a misunderstood, nice guy who's a target for being like, you can totally see how he's a target for being bullied. Like, did I need to need that scene to understand that, uh, before you fast forward? And I think that what I didn't immediately appreciate until later on in the movie is that it just sets the right emotional note for his character over the course of the film. Because the next scene, of course, is – I mean it's a, a, little, a little bit more harsh, a little bit um, more, I guess, rough around the edges in terms of what this character is. And you can immediately see that tonal shift and, and how quickly he's able to shift the tone of his character from that um, into a different setting and especially how that particular – that second scene with him working as kind of the security guard at a college uh, is portrayed – And then how it transitions back into a more personal story around him being misunderstood, him going, you know, over how over the course of those 10 years you've seen how he's developed as the type of, you know, the type of person that Richard Jewell is. And I think that Paul Walter Hauser is able to follow that flow and that that kind of emotional, personal narrative of Richard Jewell uh, throughout the course of the film. Of course, obviously, we're not getting any more time jumps really over the course of the film after that. But follow that kind of narrative of the personal journey of Richard Jewell. Uh, and the emotional notes that I think that journey requires, you know, better than I ever could have hoped for, expected, or imagined, really. And I think that's kind of the the I is dotted and the T's are crossed, so to speak, there with a climactic scene in his kitchen uh, with Watson, Brian, with Sam Rockwell's character. I think that's, you know, reaffirmed towards the end of the movie in kind of the FBI office. Uh, where you know you have these doubts if you don't know the story super well you have these doubts with the course, whether whether Richard Jewell will ever kind of get what Watson is trying to tell him and really stand up for himself and defend himself and you see that struggle and I think that a lot of actors and in a lot of other performances sometimes you really have to squint and look really hard to see the struggle uh, and believe the struggle and I think that it's it's it feels effortless and so. I don't know, just etched onto the screen when you're watching Paul Walter Hauser's performance. And that's why it's so special. And I think that he hits all the soft emotional notes and he absolutely nails kind of the few, but very important high emotional notes of the film for his character.
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think, first of all, like you said, he does disappear into this role. And while, you know, I I may not, I I may not think it's like the best performance in years in the same way that you do, but he does remind me of, maybe what I think is the best performance this decade, which is what Rebecca Hall did and Christine as Christine Chubbuck, the same sort of where you are playing a real life character, right? But you do not see the real life character. Yes. They have the, the mannerisms and everything. And, and, you know, it's, it's difficult to say exactly at what point the performance crosses over into that, because I think it's, it is almost like an intangible thing, right? Cause we talk about like, Freddie, uh, um, Rami Malik's performance as Freddie Mercury, for an example of as someone who is just kind of putting on the wig and putting on the mustache, of course, um, and you know, lip syncing, literally lip syncing in the musical scenes, but sort of like figuratively lip syncing um, in the in the dramatic scenes to the point where he, he it never feels like you're really watching Freddie Mercury. It feels like you're watching someone doing an imitation of Freddie Mercury, and. This is, you know, obviously Paul Walterhauser's performance is different here, but there's not like a certain point that you can necessarily point to. It it is just kind of that intangible thing where, like you said, that the the actor um, captures the spirit of the role uh, in such a way that you don't even necessarily realize it. But at a certain point in the movie, you think I'm not watching, you know, Paul Walterhauser anymore. I'm watching Richard Jewell. And yeah, I think you're right that he hits the ex- the right um, emotional tone in a lot of these scenes That's you mentioned that scene in the kitchen. I think that's a great example of, you know, this is a scene where Watson is really, pr- you know, prodding him saying, aren't you angry? You know, aren't, aren't you mad about what's, you know, happening? These people are trying to ruin your life. And, um, you know, Richard is just kind of, you know, at, at almost every turn, he's just, um, he's deferring to authority and deferring to law enforcement because he has such um respect for law enforcement and authority entrenched in him um, so deeply that he just can't get that out of his brain. And so he kind of like snaps in a way and he's like, you know, of course I'm angry, but it doesn't feel like someone who is actually, you know, exhibiting authentic anger. It feels like somebody who is pretending to be angry, um, which I think is exactly what they're trying to say with Richard Jewell, that he yes he yes he is angry and what he's saying in the scene obviously he he does have anger about what's happening to him but he doesn't display it in the way that Watson does or in the way that Watson expects him to and so in this moment when Watson kind of goads him into having this um, you know this loud moment. Uh, it doesn't really feel authentic but it feels deliberately inauthentic because that's just not who he is he's he's not the type to to break down and have that sort of um, angry reaction and yeah that that scene you mentioned in the fbi office i think that's a good example too um even though i have some mixed feelings about that scene and i think it does veer a little bit too much into Okay, here you go. four year consideration. Here is Paul Walterhauser Hauser for the Academy Award for, you know, best best actor, I think.
1: Um Oh, that's funny cuz I thought the scene in the kitchen would have been more the Oscar clip for Paul Walter Hauser, but that's just me.
0: I think I think it's the scene with the FBI guys at the table um at the end, but um, you yeah.
1: know. You could use right? both, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um both. yeah. For sure. And I mean, I think Kathy Bates gets her Oscar moment as well. The only, the difference yeah. is I think you know that is that is based on true life, and that that press conference actually happened, where we see Kathy Bates go, give her long speech. I'm not sure, th- I, or I I have severe doubts about whether this scene with the FBI agents went down exactly as it is depicted in the movie. But sure. I think for the most part, the press conference remains authentic. But anyway, um, yeah, I think I think he hits the right emotional notes, as you said, in in every scene, and he really portrays this guy who, you know, he, he's not he's not what we would think from appearances. We we you know, at first we kind of think he, yes, he's the, he's the guy that Olivia Wilde and, and John Hammer seeing. He's the lonely guy who, you know, has all these guns in his house. You know, if he, if Richard Jewell was alive today, he'd probably be a Trump supporter. Let's be real about this, but he's, he's that type of guy. Like he fits the profile of the lone bomber or whatever, as they say. Um, but I think, you know, that what they reveal over time is like, first of all, this guy is not as dumb or dim-witted as you would probably like to think he is based on you know the way that he speaks and everything. Um, I think he has some nice moments of like, for example, when the FBI guys trick him, take him in, they trick him and say, you know, we want you to be part of this training video. Um, come with us when really, you know, they're bringing him to the station for questioning and they ask him to sign this form, right? Like they're, they're making it out like, oh, this is just part of the video or whatever and he won't do it because, I mean, explicitly, first of all, because Watson has told him not to do it. But even still, you know, he he understands at least that he has a he has his rights to an attorney and that he shouldn't be signing this. It's only at the points where the FBI agents really defer to that sense of, uh, you know, a you know loyalty to authority that he kind of slips up and makes mistakes, like you know the scene that you see in the trailer. Um, where he's, they get him to say into the phone, you know, there's a bomb in Centennial Olympic park or whatever. Um, It's because the FBI agents are like, Hey, um, you know, we need this for the investigation. This is going to help us, blah, 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 blah they're really appealing to what they know resonates with him. Um, And yeah, I think, I think I, I constantly believe this character at every turn when there was, there could have been a real tendency to turn him into a caricature because Richard Jewell is such almost a larger than life type of guy. Um, And I don't think that's what Paul Walter Hauser did. And I think he captures that intangible thing of disappearing into the character um, that I think is what only the really elite actors can pull off. So I'm very impressed by that. Yeah. Very impressive performance. Let's talk about the supporting cast, Scott Um, and you know, there are some big names here. Sam Rockwell, Academy Award winner. We got John Hamm in there. We have Olivia Wilde, Kathy Bates, as we mentioned, um, a few other names a little further down the cast list. But um, I think those are the ones to mainly talk about. Um, and obviously, there's been some controversy about Olivia Wilde's character. And I do want to talk about that. If you want to mention that now, then you can, uh, or we can get to it in a bit. But who stood out to you uh, for the right reasons from the supporting cast? And maybe who stood out to you for the wrong reasons, perhaps?
1: Yeah, I mean, for the right reasons, it's definitely Kathy Bates. I think she's the other really strong performance. I'm I'm a little lukewarm to slightly positive on Sam Rockwell. You know, when I saw this casting, I am like, oh, maybe this is a setup for, you know, another another awards push for Sam Rockwell in a supporting role here playing, playing the lawyer. And I don't think that he lives up to that billing uh, in the, in this film. I think that he's, a, he puts in a good showing, you know, th- he doesn't do a, a poor job by any stretch of the imagination. And, uh, but you know, I think he's, this role is comfortably in his wheelhouse and he doesn't have to do, do much to, to get it right. And I think he just gets it right. He doesn't necessarily knock it out of the park or anything like that. I think where I start to bleed into having a, a few more problems is when you get to, you know, John Ham and, and Olivia Wilde. And they part of, part of this is for sure characterization. And I'll leave the controversy for you know the separate topic here in a second. But the actual performances, I think that they are not performances that I think either of them will really look back on too fondly. And I think one for one of these, you know, for John Ham, I think that's because ultimately this role is like a cartoon villain. It like it really, I and mean, again it's not like the FBI can't be a cartoon villain. I don't know how things went down in real life, but this character is portrayed so one dimensionally. Um, like you, I, you just barely see him as having like any human emotion beyond. I want to put Richard Jewell away for terrorism. And I don't think they explore at all. Like why he's motivated to do that other than like you're left to hy- like hypothesize around like, just like career trajectory and like external pressures on, you know, him as an F as like kind of the lead investigator, especially after he, you know, he leaked the story that, you know, they were investigating Richard Jewell to begin with. I just think everyone at the FBI is given a really hard treatment uh, and not characterized yeah. in, in a good way. And again, I'm not saying that that's not how it went down. I have no idea how it went down. I mean, I don't think Clint Eastwood knows how it went down either. Well, but and, and, and this is why I think, you know, talking about the
0: political angle, I think a lot of people are saying, you know, like that Eastwood has like this Trump. Trump agenda because of you know his infamous thing at the Republican National Convention sure. it's more of a libertarian view if anything I think because he right he comes he goes so hard after law enforcement which you would not expect um, to see from like a you know a, con, a conservative position and so mm-hmm. I, I don't know I, I think it's a little more complicated than him
1: I just think know. he didn't put any time like any thought or time no. in the movie to like developing these characters and I, I didn't get like it's a it's a political message it's just like he spent all of his time developing the Jewel family. Um, I agree with that. that I'm just saying, I'm
0: just saying in terms of how people are thinking of no, the totally, political yeah. agenda in this movie, I think they're a little off base with maybe where they think Eastwood's is stands.
1: Yeah. I just, I, I agree with that take. I mean, look, I mean, I'm not a fan of Clint Eastwood's like political beliefs. And if I, if I thought that he was, he was trying to push that, then I, I would call a spade a spade here, uh, especially if I was given the opportunity, but I do think that it's more just a lack of time and energy in developing these characters, uh, which is also true of Kathy Scruggs, which is Olivia Wilde's character. I think, you know, I mentioned John Hamm. I don't think he's going to look back too fondly on the role just because, he, again, he's a cartoon villain here in, in my mind. But I think in some ways, Olivia Wilde gets the same, if not worse, treatment uh, in Kathy Scruggs. Like, well, again, I'll save the controversy for a second. I have my thoughts on that. But just the role itself, like every, every turn, it feels like not just as Kathy Scruggs made into a cartoon villain in this role. It's like, I mean, I mean, it's just like it's joke. And not only that, but like even in the moment where she kind of turns and there's this kind of climactic moment in the movie where she realizes that, oh, wait, no, Richard Jewell couldn't have done this. I mean, it's laughable, kind of the the 180 that this character does in no time whatsoever uh, in development. And, you know, whether or not you think Olivia wilde overacts this role. I have no idea to me. I saw it as a little bit more of the, the way the character was written and the way it was directed personally. And everyone will have their own, own opinion on that. But one thing, and the reason why I think that is just because of kind of the, the poor developmental treatment it's given around this kind of turning point where, you know, she literally goes from one scene where, you know, she's, you know, patting herself on the back, et cetera, about, you know, how good of a job, like literally people in her office are giving her like a standing ovation for breaking the story uh, to, you know, several scenes later from her perspective. You know, she's she's all of a sudden completely done a 180. She's like shedding tears at this press conference that Kathy Bates. Uh, um, not Yeah, Kathy Bates is uh, I forget the name of the mom. Bobby Jewel is giving the press conference for. Bobby. And to me, it's just like, I don't know, it's just such a poor character development that I wonder if it was even worth it uh, to even. You know, develop the character in that way, and just let them, you know, let let the cartoon villain be a cartoon villain because it almost becomes laughable. Like I said, um, the the development that happens there, and I do want to save one of the questions I have for the controversy. That's not necessarily related to the controversy, but that those are my thoughts and kind of the full host of supporting cast members.
0: Yeah, no, I I think I'm pretty much in agreement with you. I, I'd be interested to know because Olivia Wilde hasn't really made many comments about her role in this movie, and hasn't you know hasn't really interested you. Has she? Okay. Well, I haven't well, really seen related
1: her. to the related to the, controversy the controversy. she has. Okay.
0: Interesting. Well, maybe you can tell me about those in a second then. But um, I, I'd just be interested to know because um, I think it is probably a combination of a poorly drawn character and also a performance that is a little bit lackluster. I I didn't think Olivia Wilde was great here, to be honest. And you know that's a shame because I don't I don't think this at all should overshadow you know what she's done this year behind the camera with one of the best movies of this year, book smart.
1: Um, and yeah, maybe the key takeaway, is she should stay behind the camera for a little bit and, and maybe. really develop that line of career because not like life itself got much hype last year. True. Whatever. Whatever. From, from from um,
0: but yeah. Uh, yeah, but no, I think she does overact to use your word at, at times. I, I just thought that this character I mean, you know, obviously they want to make her look unprofessional, but I was just like, why did this person ever get a job as a journalist in the first place? Like, it, I didn't believe her as a journalist really at, at most turns of the movie. And, yeah, like you said, I think that particularly the, that final turn that she has to, like, all of a sudden realize that, you know, she she does the, the walk over to the payphone just like uh, Watson and Nadia do earlier in the movie. Um, but... And, and, you know, at that point she realizes, oh, he was actually innocent the whole time. And this is, of course, after Watson has really just chewed her out in the in the newsroom in front of everyone. Um, but I didn't believe, I didn't really believe because of the way that the character was set up, that she would even care, right? Like, it, okay, so Richard Joel was innocent. Like, nothing about this character that we've seen in the movie suggests that she has the moral compass to be like, oh no, I've done a grave injustice to this innocent man by, you know, writing this story about him, which by the way, she report, I mean, like her story was reporting the facts of the investigation. Yeah, right? That's like, what I was going to say too. It wasn't yeah. even like saying necessarily. And yes, maybe it was irresponsible to report, you know, to, to, to maybe mention, even mention Richard Jewell's name at that point. I don't know, but like the fact of the matter is the story that she writes is just like the FBI is investigating Richard Jewell for which was blah, blah, blah. True. right, which was true. So I, I don't know that I had, I had a bit of a problem with that as well, but yeah, but I, had, again, I had a
1: big problem with that as well. Yeah.
0: But I didn't believe that this character would even care if she discovered that Richard Jewell was innocent. Um, I just thought she would say, Oh, well, you know, it's all journalism, baby. Um, and, and that would be the end of it. So I, I don't really know what the point of having her character turn was. But then you have the John Hamm character, which I yeah, I honestly think might be worse because he doesn't, he isn't even given like a moment of redemption or anything like that. Like there isn't any sort oh, like, of-
1: Double down at the end of the movie. Yeah, there,
0: exactly. There isn't any sort of nuance introduced at all. And yeah, to your point, I don't, you don't understand his motivations at all. Like maybe at first it's kind of a like, oh, you, um, you know, I-, I this is a huge high profile incident, right? We're the FBI. Everyone's expecting us to handle the issue. So we have to find someone who's the culprit. And maybe that is his motivating force at first. But I don't think we really get why he carries it on so far, like to the point, right, where it's it's months later, right, at the end of the movie. And he comes in handing them the letter to say that Richard Jewell has been cleared and is like, I still believe that your client is guilty. And I was just like, I don't, I don't get it. Why? Like, why do you think this? Like, are are you just so stubborn, you know, that you you don't believe that you, you know, could have misjudged this investigation? And if so, show us that, Clint Eastwood. Like, I, I don't think we we got this. So I think that was disappointing because John Hamm, I thought, could have brought a lot more of that role. Um, but I, you know. Moving the negatives aside, because I think those are my major negatives for the movie, are just those the way that those two characters were portrayed. I think the other performances are really strong. I, I did like Kathy Bates. Uh, I think, you know, I, I don't necessarily understand why she's getting the Oscar buzz that she has, because I think she really only has, you know, one, one and a half scenes maybe of like, oh, like where she really gets to act. Um I think most of the time she's just kind of playing the supportive mother, but Kathy Bates is great. Like she's one of the best out there. So, you know, even in that kind of a role, she can, she can do something special. I did really like Sam Rockwell's performance as well. I like the arc that this character undergoes um, as this guy who like at first, right? Like he also kind of doesn't care about Richard really. It's, it's about the money for him. Like he, he, uh, when when he first gets the call from Richard Joel, like Nadia, who's his secretary, um, is like amping him up to take the call. And the way that she like gets him to answer the call and talk to him or whatever is like by talking about how much money he could potentially make off of this. And, you know, the, the fact that this is a really high profile uh, incident. And so he doesn't necessarily care about what happens to richard at, at first which i thought was you know i, I thought was kind of believable being the, the lawyer character that he is um but then he has that realization right when when he um when he wa- when he takes the walk and like you know the same walk that olivia wilde takes and he realizes that richard is innocent he's like oh man something terrible is going on here like this man is being railroaded is literally what he says to nadia um, we actually need to do something about this. So I like sort of the crisis of conscience that this character has throughout the movie, um, and yet, no, to the point where he really does, he becomes Richard's friend as well, and um, really, you know, defends him zealously as you know a, a good lawyer should. Because he's not, he's not the type of lawyer who even handles these sorts of cases. Really, he's he's business seems to be his his uh, expertise. But not sure he does any law whatsoever in his new practice. <laughs> yeah but uh that's true you don't really ever really see him doing much when he's when he's at his office there but um but yeah so i really like the character i always love sam rockwell he's one of my favorites and i think he has a great charisma um that i think matches well right with the the subtlety uh and maybe the lack of emotion that we see from um richard jewell i think that um the the Sam Rockwell character is a good like audience surrogate of like, this is what we are feeling the same thing that um that Watson is feeling for most of the movie. Um, why you know, why isn't Richard showing more emotion? You know, why isn't he getting more upset about this? You know, Richard, please stop making these mistakes. Like, you know, talking to like in, entertaining the, the law enforcement officers and their attempts to deceive you. Um, and so I think that Sam Rockwell is a perfect person to play that sort of um, audience surrogate character. So I, I really enjoyed his performance as well. I think it's probably my second favorite after Hauser's. Okay, let's talk about the controversy now, Scott, with the Olivia Wilde character, because obviously it has been uh, going around on Twitter and various people we've seen have very, very different perspectives on it. Um, but essentially the substance of the controversy, if you don't know about it, is that, of course, Kathy Scruggs, the Olivia Wilde character, was a real reporter at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. She's passed away some years ago, and um, and Eastwood in the movie depicts her. I mean, we say Eastwood, right? Because I think he's the easy target here, but maybe Billy Ray, who wrote the screenplay, is is just as guilty. Um, but uh, Eastwood and Billy Ray uh, depict Kathy Scruggs in this one particular scene with John car right? The way that she obtains the information that the FBI is investigating Richard is sort of by flirting with him at the bar and then John Hamm gives her the information. And then there is the strong implication that they then sleep together after this. Um, And so people are, there's, there's been quite the outcry on depicting this deceased reporter as potentially having slept with someone for a source, which is obviously very strongly against the code of journalistic ethics, especially because there doesn't seem to be any evidence out there that this actually happened Um, to kind of just go ahead and, and say my feelings. I, Don't think it's as egregious as many people are making it out to be. I think a couple of factors which kind of complicate things in the movie are that, first of all, we see the wild character flirting with the John Hamm character before there's ever even a case, right? Like there's a scene at the concert the Kenny Chesney concert, the not K- even the same Kenny part. Rogers. Kenny Rogers, yeah, yeah. But at the Kenny Rogers concert, before the bomb has even gone off, where she's flirting with him, right? So she's clearly interested in him before there's even information to obtain. And second of all, the scene at the bar, she she entered, she receives the information before she then goes and sleeps with him. Um, and I think, I mean, I think there is there's more to it than that because like she is using the promise or the potential of of you know having sex with him to um entice him into giving her the information uh but at the same time i think the way that the character is depicted and again maybe this goes to the the fact that the character is not depicted you know strongly as a whole i just felt like She's sleeping with this guy because she wants to sleep with this guy. Like, um, I don't think it's to get information and yeah, maybe it's a tad irresponsible to, to depict her in this way when she's deceased and there was no evidence of that. But I don't think that I really see any violations of the code of journalistic ethics really going on in this movie. Um, So I, I, understand maybe where some of the critiques are coming from for sure but i think they have to do maybe more with how the character is written as a whole than um how she's depicted in this particular scene because i i don't have a huge problem ultimately with that and i think people should probably actually watch the movie um before they make conclusions about you know what the depiction is here
1: yeah but that would require them to go watch the film first and that's two hours that they won't be able to get back of course yeah do that yeah more
0: important things
1: Right, like tweeting, like tweeting about it for sure. Like tweeting about, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think we're, we're for the most part on, on the same page with this. I think the things that I would say, I didn't really have a problem at all with this scene. Again, may, maybe the frustration with how poorly this character is written is that like this has just ended up being the place to channel that frustration, and people aren't really voicing their criticism in the right way. That 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 could be a component of it for sure. I, I, I could see that because. For the exact, I don't want to reiterate, but actually go through the points. But for the exact reasons you've laid out here, I don't really have a problem with this scene, and my problem just lies with this character overall. And and also, it's it's one of those things where you know you talked about Olivia Wilde not making too many comments about the particular performance. But one of the comments that I did, that I do know that she did make, kind of when the controversy first started, so before really you know this had even been screened to a wider audience, is talking about how you know we don't really like. Yes, there's no way to know whether or not this happened. Like, yes, there's no proof that it happened. I suppose I don't know, like what what's out there and what's not. But there's no proof that it didn't happen either. And all I think every all kind of sort of characterizations uh, of this of Kathy Scruggs from you know friends and other other people who worked with her or close with her was that she was a very sexual person. She yeah. did use that uh, element of her personality. And I think one of the things that Olivia Wilde was saying is that there shouldn't be anything wrong. With that, like the if a guy you know if there was a male journalist out there who went and slept with a source uh, for information, literally no one would be talking about it,
0: yeah, and, and if anything to to add on to that, like the John Hamm character is the one who is depicted as like clueless and dumb in the scene, right like she she's almost like in a position of power using what she knows that she has in order to obtain the information from him, and she does obtain the information, and John Hamm is the one who you know is eventually. Uh, he really pays the price for it, right? Because it's it then gets put on the the front page. So if anything, I think the John Hamm character comes off the worst in this scene.
1: Well, he certainly comes off lo- like looking the worst from like yeah. a professional uh, perspective because she's breaking a story and he's the one getting like chided by. Right. Well, I guess they don't know that it was him, or at least it's not clear but whether he they, it was him, yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. He knows it was him. But I, I think the point is that like if roles were reversed and say, you know, Kathy Scruggs is an FBI agent and John Hamm is a reporter, and John Hamm slept with. With Kathy, with this FBI, you know, agent, uh, to get information, the FBI agent would be talked about how like how bad they are at their job that they can't like keep their mouth shut and they have to sleep, you know, sleep with someone that they're attracted to or is, you know, whatever. And no one would be talking about the fact that John Hamm slept with a horse. Yeah. And so to me, it's just like it's just it, it's one of those things where like people people think that they're being super woke by saying we have to stop depicting women. But They're
0: arguably being more regressive.
1: Exactly. And that's and and that is actually what Olivia Wilde was saying in her comments yeah. is that like if this is like the tools that this person is equipped with to do their job and do their job well and to, you know, going back to a point that you made earlier like she did her job well. She broke a huge story that was factually true that she had every right to report on and whether you think that it was irresponsible to say a name or whatever it was like she was doing her job and if her editor knew that she had the name of someone the, and then they didn't publish the name of the person they were investigating like she would have been reprimanded for that like, she, like not not using that information like that's just how journalism is and you know maybe you have a problem with that i don't know but like she's doing her job and she did her job well and if you're handicapping women using all the tools that are available to them to do their jobs well that's you know that's just sex sexist as the reverse Um, and that's kind of my take on it too. I think I agree with, with Olivia Wilde's perspective, uh, there. And I also agree with everything that you were saying earlier around why ultimately I didn't have a problem with it anyway.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I mean, final point, I think is just that, you know, every true story movie like this takes liberties, exactly takes liberties. And based on what Olivia Wilde has said, right. And people have said that new Kathy Scruggs, I don't think this is a huge liberty to take, um, with the way that this character is depicted, and I also did not think it's as problematic as people are suggesting. So that's ultimately. Yeah, I, I
1: mean, like, clear, like there, were, I think there were other things. And Jeff Snyder was talking about this on his on his podcast when he went on his very long rant about people who were ranting about this thing. Is that like, why are people talking about this scene? Why are people talking about the fact that she like broke into Sam like Watson Bryant's car and like sat in the backseat yeah. and refused to leave? Like that is yeah. a felony. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but no, the topic that's of conversation instead is is whether or not she. Slept with an FBI agent who I argued would say she was just interested in sleeping with and didn't need to. And he was surprised it's was John like, oh, Ham. I am mean, like,
0: look, I, I don't i <laughs> sleep way, with John Hamm. He's a good looking guy. guy. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Um, yeah, so I think I think that those are all valid points, and hopefully this conversation can be put to rest. But um, the other sort of conversation swirling around the movie, and I think Scott, you've already maybe stated a little bit how you feel about this, but is just the the role that Eastwood po- Eastwood's politics plays in the movie, and the fact that if you look at this story from a high level, right? Like it's about a guy who, like I said earlier, I mean, may have been a Trump supporter if he was alive today. Like this Richard Jewell guy who is being demonized by the media, um, and you know we're really we're really made to feel sorry for him, um, and so a lot of people have sort of accused Eastwood of putting his, you know, sur- substituting himself, substituting Richard Jewell for himself and kind of examining the way that the media has criticized him for his own politics, mm-hmm. um, through the use of this, you know, true life story in this character. Um, I don't think there's much merit to that. I, I mean, what, what I will say is that I think that it's very possible that Clint Eastwood released this movie at the time that he did because of the, you know, because of the political significance that he would know, um, that it would have. But at the same time, I think what we can't, you know, I think, I think he, I think he depict, he could have depicted the media in this way because he feels exactly what people are saying. He feels right. That the media is out to get him because he's a Trump supporter and all this stuff. Um, at the same time, this actually happened, right? Like this is a true story and the media and the FBI really did screw up. And, if the media and FBI had not screwed up, then we wouldn't even have to have this movie. We wouldn't even have to um, be worried about the implications of what Clint Eastwood is saying with this movie if they hadn't screwed up. And so at a certain point, I think you just have to hold the people accountable for this, that that messed up. And so that's kind of where I come down on it. Even, even if some people can't um, dissociate the, the political um, ideology that Clint Eastwood brings to the movie from the actual movie itself, I think at the end of the day, you have to just look at this movie as sort of existing in a vacuum, almost like it it, it it this is something that happened. The media and FBI were liable, even if they're not always liable in every instance, and maybe if they're not, you know, as biased against Clint Eastwood as he would he would like to think. Um, and even if Clint Eastwood politics are wretched, this actually happened, and so I think it it deserves to be depicted on screen to honor, you know, Richard Jewell and and what happened to him and you know, what has happened to other people, right? Like, this is not the only instance where someone has been wrongfully vilified by the media and by law enforcement only to then uncover later that they're, that yeah. they're, you know, not guilty. So I, yeah, I, don't I mean,
1: that no that. one's, no one's leveling this critique at Ava DuVernay for when they see yeah. us this year.
0: Yeah. Do you have any other additional thoughts about the political aspects of it?
1: Yeah, I I mean, look, I I said earlier that I really just view this as a and maybe maybe these are two things that are intermixed and you can't really separate them too much. But I at the very least think that it's, you know, if it is true, it's not necessarily as I don't know what the right word is, like an an act of choice, more just a reality of the story that that Billy Ray was writing and Eastwood was telling on on the screen. And that's that. I think this is just a cry like these characters that are done poorly, you know, the media, the FBI I think it's a byproduct of just giving those those characters and those and those performances um, a little less focus, a little less energy, and a little less thought, which is ultimately like what keeps this movie from, in my mind, being kind of that top tier a uh, film and and undercooking some of those aspects and and maybe that's because Clint was like you know what I don't really care about this like I don't really care if the media and the FBI come off looking bad I'm gonna focus on the heart of the story which is regardless of how much time and energy you put into you know. Kathy Scruggs or John Hamm's FBI character uh, character like the heart of the movie is still going to be the jewel family yeah. and putting the energy there to me is just a choice that they're making that. Yes, it does hurt the film overall and how I think about it, but is a less important part of the film uh, than that than that central driving narrative of Richard Jewell and his mother. And so in that sense, I don't view it as a an active you know caricaturization or or negative portrayal of these things and for a political purpose and more just a you know maybe this happened because he doesn't mind portraying the fbi and the media in a bad way but it certainly he i don't feel like it was portrayed intentionally that way it was just a byproduct of the film that he created uh, again, that doesn't mean that that's not you there's not an undertone of it.
0: You can't tell this story in a way that makes the media or FBI look good, right?
1: <laughs> it certainly could have been more nuanced, but it never would yeah. have made them look good. And again, like the, having said that about um, Olivia Wilde's character, about how she was just doing her job, a, again, like it, like the
0: media is still screwed up. All right, like they're they're harassing this family. They're following them around everywhere. Yeah. Like they're still there's still a lot. Of, I mean, maybe if Kathy Scruggs herself maybe isn't as irresponsible as um, we yeah. we may have originally thought. Like, overall, the media should not come off as a good party in this story because they no. they had a lot to do with...
1: They made they his have. life a living hell. like right, right, a ruining Richard life, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, you know, maybe it would have been better if the FBI is not trying to, you know, con you into, you know, admitting to a crime you didn't commit, but, you know, it, it, it's never going to come off looking good when you're trapped inside your house for weeks on end because there's a whole horde of media outside your door. That's just the reality of it.
0: Yeah. And of course I would be remiss not to point out that some of these people didn't seem to have much of a problem with Adam McKay opposing his, uh, <laughs> imposing his own ideology on vice, but, uh yeah. um, TBD I'll, on bombshell. Oh uh, yeah. I'll let all our listeners try to decipher why that may be. Um, Scott, last point I want to talk about before we wrap up. Um, it's just briefly, let's t- touch on the Oscar chances for this movie. I mean, I think we probably both feel that Kathy Bates is probably the only um, real contender here. Do you see any scenario where Hauser gets in for a best actor or maybe even where the movie gets like a sneak best picture nomination?
1: Unfortunately, I don't think I do. Um, I mean, I would love it if Paul Walter Hauser got a nomination. Sometimes those things happen where someone comes out of nowhere without any really prior uh, best performance nods earlier in the award cycle. He did, of course, get best win, best breakthrough performance from that National Board of Review awards that we talked about. Uh, was it last week or a couple of weeks ago? I can't remember. But he, uh, I just don't see it happening. Unfortunately, I think you know maybe he'll get some sort of like breakthrough performance at at a, a more minor award show like the BAFTAs. I think that does kind of like the rising star award. Maybe he'll get nodded there. Although I think that's usually targeted at a slightly younger. Uh, acting core so you know someone like a taylor russell or a kelvin harrison jr would probably be more in the wheelhouse of that award but unfortunately i don't i mean maybe i really doubt it but like i'd say even more more of a chance than paul walter hauser might be this you know an adapted screenplay uh nod although yeah. still i'm still i'm not i'm not sure, sure what the field is there. like
0: for adapted screenplays this year but Maybe I, I don't know. I I, I think the stream, screenplay is probably one of the weaker aspects of the movie. So,
1: well, I agree. I'm just thinking like where where I think yeah. it could sneak in because I think a lot of the best movies, like a lot of the best pictures that we're talking about, uh, those are usually I think those are actually for the most part original screenplays this year with right. Marriage Story and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And is actually wait, is The Irishman an adapted screenplay? Yeah, it is because it's it adapted is. from the book. The I know yeah, I heard I heard the yeah. Um, so I don't know but again I, I think that honestly I think this is going to fire blanks at the Oscars all around I don't think Kathy Bates is going to get a nomination either um, I could be wrong about that but yeah because right I, I, I mean what, one
0: thing about the supporting actress too is that Florence Pugh has not been nominated for anything for Little Women and I still think that she has a chance for the Oscar just because this movie is a late year release and a lot of people are just now seeing this movie like I'm, I'm still seeing this week reactions from like critics who have just seen it at a screening
1: um, yeah, but critics critics aren't the ones voting on the Oscars.
0: Yeah, but I mean, if they if they're just seeing it, then like I don't know when the screeners went out or anything like that, but it may have been recently as well. Um, they went out
1: on time, according to oh, okay. everyone like Jeff Snyder and stuff like that. Well, Fyc.
0: Well, I don't know, but I still feel like she has a chance, and I think they're just in terms of the back half of this Best Supporting Actress. um potential nominees i think there's still some flux there about what could actually happen so yeah i wouldn't be surprised to see no nominations whatsoever for the movie unfortunately i agree with you i don't think hauser really has a shot i think the best actor race is probably pretty solidified um yeah i mean he definitely deserves to be over in there over someone like joaquin phoenix i think just
1: yeah, I mean, but sorry, like Warner Brothers is going to, like, this is a Warner Brothers film. Oh, yeah. All of Warner Brothers campaign money is going to be behind Joaquin Phoenix. Of course,
0: yeah. And um, I mean, I, I'm not denying that he will get in there over him. Um, I think that's a shame, but it is what it is. Um, and so, yeah, I think that, East. I think this is going to be a movie that kind of like the mule was last year, is a movie that people appreciate as a Twilight era, as a solid Twilight era movie from a great filmmaker. Um, but ultimately doesn't get recognized at any awards. So,
1: yeah, um, I mean, he's barely been recognized at all since Million Dollar Baby, right? I mean,
0: well, there he had the war movies, right? He had Letters from Iwo Jima, Flags of Our Fathers. Um, yeah, which, I
1: guess uh, Letters of Iwo Jima for sure, but Flags of Our Fathers. Did he get nominated for that?
0: Well, I think they both came out the same year,
1: didn't they? Unless I, I don't remember. Anyway, I right. I mean, well, Iwo, Iwo Jima. He did. They were both well received.
0: I know that, and they were both yeah. I, mean, I think they both got nominated for something, but I really don't know. But um, but yeah, no, you're right. Like it ha- he hasn't like Gran Torino. Did did he get a Best Actor nomination for a Gran Torino? Maybe.
1: But when did that come out, though? I think that's that was 2008.
0: A while, that was 2008 or nine. One it million dollar it's baby. I that was like a 2004.
1: Time. Oh, okay, well, million dollar
0: baby was 2004. But um, but yeah, it's it's been a while since he has truly had an Oscar contender. I'm trying to think if there's been anything in there. He, he had Jay Edgar, right? that yes that well, that
1: he, I, did, he didn't direct that though, did he yeah he did uh, yeah, well that was he, awesome. he wasn't in the movie
0: but it wasn't a, it wasn't a good movie but i think it might have gotten a couple nominations american uh, well, sniper okay,
1: so so Grant Torino didn't receive any nominations at the oscars at all
0: okay american sniper is probably the one that like cuz i bradley cooper i think definitely got a nomination for that did american sniper got nominated for best picture i'm pretty sure did it, didn't
1: didn't i did it jesus i have no idea
0: I never saw it movie, so, but, um, but yeah, I think, so I think it, it has, he hasn't had as much success recently as he had, you know, back in the day, but, um, I guess only time will tell. We'll, we'll know soon enough about the Oscar nominations. Yeah.
1: He, so for American sniper Eastwood didn't get a best director nomination, but the film itself did get six nominations, including best picture. That's what I thought.
0: Okay. Um, all right, well, there you go, Scott, let's move into the wrap up phase. Now, favorite scene or moment from Richard Joel.
1: Yeah, it's the scene in the kitchen with uh him between him and Watson Ryan. I think it's such a that 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 scene for me, uh, you know, to you, I don't know what you're going to say here, but to me that scene just worked perfectly. It was the climax of the film in terms of the performances for me, I think on both fronts, right? You have both of these characters kind of uh, both Sam Rockwell and Paul Walter Hauser here doing doing their their most in a good way. Uh and it is a perfect scene.
0: Yeah, no, I'm going to go with a smaller moment that I like because, you know, we do talk about Eastwood being a straightforward filmmaker. And I think for the most part, that's true. But I think there are some moments in this movie where he shows he can do more when he wants to. Um, And I think one moment that stands out to me is at the very end of the movie when the FBI agents have returned all of the Tupperware and dishes and stuff that they took from, from Bobby Jewell's house during the investigation. And they hand her like a Tupperware um, container and it has like the the evidence number written in Sharpie on top of it, and she just kind of like tries to rub it off a little bit, and it won't go away. Kind of signifying, right, like that uh, these people have quote unquote they've gotten their life back, but there's a mark on their life. There's this you know evidence number on their on their life that they can never they can't rub it away they can't wash it off that is always going to be there even if ultimately the world knows now that Richard Jewell is innocent and that he was wrongly vilified Uh, they can't take back what's already been done so I really liked that you know moment of nuance there towards the end of the movie um, that I think gets at what Eastwood is trying to say as a whole so that's my favorite moment all right Scott your score out of 10 for Richard Jewell
1: yeah out of 10 I'm giving this movie a 7.5
0: yeah, I'm a point higher with you. I'm at an 8.5. I really did like the movie. I think it's a very solidly done uh, biographical drama. Very compelling story and some really good performances in there. Uh, it's a shame that the you know a couple of the supporting characters were cartoonish, but um, this is still in the top third um, of movies that we've seen this year for me. So um,
1: I liked it a lot. Yeah, I would, I would generally agree with that. I think it definitely, I think it's in my top third for sure. Uh, The only thing I will say about this film that we haven't talked about is that it's bombing at the box office, only 5 million this weekend, even though it has an A cinema score and it's pretty well received. Yeah. That's interesting. I I felt like the
0: marketing was pretty decent for the movie. Like the trailers were everywhere and it was a really good trailer too. Like I think most people that I talked to who saw the trailer thought this looked like a really good movie. So I don't know what went wrong, but um, maybe, maybe people are gearing up for star Wars this week or something. And, you know, well, I mean,
1: yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think frozen two is still doing well at the box office. Yeah. Jumanji, I think captured a lot of the attention. This, weekend, didn't come out this week. And for everyone else, they're just saving their money to see rise of Skywalker five times. Probably.
0: Probably. So, all right, Scott, that should just about do it for our discussion of Richard Jewell. After the break, we are going to get into those SAG nominations, Um, And talk about some of the highlights and lowlights, some of the snubs and surprises that we saw in the Screen Actors Guild nominations. So uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back.
1: Welcome back for part two of today's episode of Some Like It Scott. Scott is handing over the reins to the other Scott for this uh, for this time in the podcast as we shift gears a little bit. Continue talking about uh, our awards updates that we've been giving you over each week. We had our special episode uh, that actually just went live this morning as t- uh, on Monday, uh, talking about the Golden Gloves. That was our live stream last week, but we also have still plenty more to talk about here. Uh, specifically, the big topic of conversation. Yeah, there's a bunch of guild. Uh, awards nominations coming out. But the biggest of those guilds is the Screen Actors Guild uh, Awards and probably has the most relevance and is the most talked about. Because it is the biggest guild, it's the largest part of the uh, Academy that will ultimately vote on the Oscars. Not everyone who's in the Screen Actors Guild is in the Academy, uh, but there there is some strong overlap there. So oftentimes it's used as a decent indicator for what might be to come, Scott. And so to jump right in, I think some of the big takeaways and eye-catching moments uh, during these kind of sag nominations, when you know you look at the whole list uh, of everything that's being nominated, to me, is that at least the Screen Actors Guild is really high on Bombshell and really not high on Little Women. So you know we talked and referenced Little Women a little bit earlier. I think it, during our review of Richard Jewell and how you think that you know maybe there will be some awards consideration going on there in in terms of competing for like Kathy Bates there with with Florence Pugh or someone like that getting in over her, but. Uh, it doesn't seem at least initial indicators don't seem to be that way. Largely got shut out of the Globes and completely shut out here at the SAG Awards. What are your thoughts on kind of the surprise winner and maybe the surprise loser in nominations here?
0: Yeah, I, I don't really know what to attribute it to because I think that Little Women. I mean, obviously, it's hard to say because we haven't seen either of these films yet. But um, Little Women strikes me as more of an ensemble piece whereas bombshell strikes me more as you have one, two, potentially three. I mean, according to what the Screen Actors Guild Award said, um, really showy Oscar Beatty performances. And maybe you don't necessarily get that with a movie like Little Women where equal time is given to a lot of characters. I mean, knowing the story as I do like Joe March, which is the Saoirse Ronan character. Yes, probably will get the most screen time, but it is very much an ensemble piece. But also at the same time, that makes it a little weird to me that the SAG awards aren't looking at it, at least for that best ensemble category, right? Like, I think when I look at these nominations, I'm a little perplexed about what the SAG, what the Screen Actors Guild seems to consider to be an ensemble, right? Because if you look at the nominations for best ensemble, Bombshell is in there. And okay, maybe you have three really excellent performances in this movie, but. Does that make it an ensemble piece? Because when I think about an ensemble movie, I don't think about a movie with two or three really good performances. I think about a movie like *Knives Out* or like *Hustlers*, or to name a movie that is in there, *Parasite*. Right, like, like that to me is an, is an archety- archetypal ensemble movie where you have seven, eight, nine really excellent performances. Maybe nobody really stands out amongst the bunch, but it's a really solid ensemble from top to bottom. And so maybe. I don't know. Maybe that is where why Little Women is missing out just because there's not those showy standout performances um, like you are getting in bombshell. That's that's really the only thing I can think of at this point. Although, like I said, I I have kept saying it and I stick firm to it. I still think Little Women is going to get a lot of Oscar recognition.
1: Yeah, I mean, like I said, this is only an indicator. It's only it's still even though it's one of the larger portions of the Academy, it's only it's still not the whole Academy. So they still have to weigh in. Uh, on, on all that, and you know, I do think that it it is surprising to see certain movies, particularly in the in the ensemble cast category. But at the same time, this is just their equivalent of Best Picture. Uh, you know, call it, call it whatever they want. You know, they this plan- annoying. Then just call it Best Picture. Yeah, but if it's the screen actors that's guild. That's well, it's the screen actors guild, so it has to it has to be something cast related. And the awards will go to the cast members, not not the producers. Yeah. You know, like it will at the Oscars and the Gloves. But but I just be yeah. like with the movie like Bombshell. I'm not hearing anyone talk about John Lithgow. I'm not talking hearing anyone talk about Kate McKinnon. Like I mean, no out. one's talking about anyone from Parasite, so I don't know. I'm not sure the logic you're using.
0: Well, I I guess I guess that makes sense, but at the same time, I would contend no one is talking about anyone from Parasite just because the ensemble as a whole is so strong that no one particularly stands out.
1: Yeah, it was probably a bad example because no one's talking about anyone from Parasite because they're all Korean actors. Actress actresses. I mean, they're not, and they're not getting probably, any consideration.
0: That's probably um, fair too. But I'm saying that I, I think bombshell people are still talking about the individual performances. I'm saying, mm-hmm. for, when you get further down the line, nobody's talking about these people further down the line, which makes me question why it's an ensemble movie. And there was there's another one yeah. in there, too, that reminded me what the other nominations were for on. Yeah.
1: So for the outstanding performance by cast and emotion picture, which, again, kind of like I've alluded to already, is kind of the equivalent of best picture for the Screen Actors Guild. There's Bombshell, The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Parasite.
0: I think I think the other one which I question a little bit is The Irishman, just because I think you have the really three strong performances between Pacino, De Niro, um, and Pesci. Yeah. Okay. You have Bobby Can- Cannavale, you have Stephen Graham, you have a few people who add some color here and there. And a one. Yeah, sure. But then again, over like a movie like knives
1: out. Um, yeah, you're just thinking about the category too. Literally is the problem. And no, look, I feel the same. I <laughs> like, I feel you and I feel the same yeah. way. Absolutely. Like if you're, if you're taking the category at its literal meaning, like knives out it's inane that knives out not on this on, on the list for sure
0: I like um, once upon a time in hollywood and parasite okay right those are good ensemble movies and even jojo rabbit like it's not one of my favorite movies of the year but like you have a pretty solid ensemble you have a pretty solid six or seven people in that movie who you can say they gave really good performances but the others i don't know
1: yeah no i feel you on that one but again i guess circling back around to talk about to get my perspective on the topic, I am a little bit surprised that uh, that bombshell is getting so much recognition around, you know, those three lead performances. I think that you have to I mean, to me, I think you have to really wonder like Nicole Kidman getting getting the nomination. Like I again, we haven't seen the movie. I'll cool. form my own opinion once we see it. So but here's the, that's that was the surprising one to me. Well, here's what I'll say about this is that I have heard from people who have seen the movie and talked about that.
0: The, the more of the head scratcher is Margot Robbie getting nominated because from what I understand, she really only has one scene in the movie that is kind of the standout scene. Whereas I feel like a lot of people are talking more about Nicole Kidman and thinking that overall, this is a stronger performance and maybe is a good sort of antidote to the performance that Charlize Theron is giving where it's just so like she, she has embodied Megan Kelly. So literally um, that yeah, you know, Nicole Kidman maybe provides a good antidote to that, whereas Margot Robbie, I think, only has a few minutes of screen time that's really only governed by this one scene. Um, so I I mean, I'm surprised in the sense that Margot Robbie has been getting more nominations. But from what I understand about the movie, perhaps maybe Kidman might actually be the more deserving person here.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, for me, when I see that bombshell trailer and I've seen it enough times in front of movies, I I can't even see Gretchen Carlson. I just see Nicole Kidman. And for me, just the way I think about it, going back to our discussion of Richard Jewell, like that instantly for me takes it out of like a, a best performance consideration.
0: Yeah, no, I, I fair. I mean, you know, that's something we obviously talked about here about actors disappearing into their characters. I I don't I don't know because I haven't seen the movie yet. So that's I, I will reserve judgment on that until I see it. Um, but you very well may be right about that. I mean I I think if you're gonna, yeah, you know, maybe Margot Robbie's getting love too because she was also in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but um, she had a small role in that too, obviously. So,
1: yeah, no. So to me, there's a lot of surprise there, and I particularly want to juxtapose it too, like with someone like a Nicole Kidman, and again, even maybe Margot Robbie. Again, maybe both these people are surprises to me, and with Robert De Niro getting left out for the for the Irishman, yeah. the Best Actor category, I think that was a little bit of a surprise uh, to me, and then of course then seeing it pop back up in that Best Ensemble role maybe that was their way to make amends but I don't necessarily disagree with the choice I was just surprised
0: yeah I mean I would disagree I think he's worthy of getting in the best actor um, race but either way I don't think this is going to affect his Oscar chances I think he's still going to get an Oscar nomination
1: yeah I mean time will tell on that on that front for me I think the more that I've sat with the Irishman the more I feel like I mean De Niro doesn't to me, doesn't do anything special for De Niro, which again, you could argue whether that's fair or not because De Niro is a very special actor hour with,
0: with Jimmy Hoffa's wife. Come on. That's a, that's some of the well, best couple, acting of the year.
1: Well, no. So I'm saying I think that most of the performance is not like that. He gets to, basically he gets two scenes to do something different. And that certainly is enough for an Oscar. Like we've seen that before. It's just like when you have a year of incredible standout roles. I don't know if five minutes in a three and a half hour movie where you're in every scene is worthy of uh, an Oscar nomination necessarily when you have uh, a lot of other really strong performances. And I think it's a particularly strong year, a particularly strong year for best actor uh, after a few years where we haven't seen as much uh, competition.
0: Agree to disagree.
1: Cool. Um, Yeah. And I think some other things to, to mention here in spite of what I said about De Niro, I think that again, the nominations that the Irishman and Uh, and then also once upon a time in Hollywood are receiving here are again, just kind of confirming that it it may does feel like the real deal. Uh, and it's in its Oscar consideration as much as maybe we still hold out hope for certain movies to not be affected or certain performances to not be affected by being left out. To me, it feels like the Irishman and once upon a time in Hollywood are being validated as kind of the top contenders when you have marriage story. Yes, of course, uh, Scarlett Johansson for marriage story and, uh, Laura Dern for Marriage Story and Adam Driver for Marriage Story all be nominated but then being left out of the ensemble role like do you think that affects its its chances at all not to get a nomination because I think again it's one of those clear locks we talked about it last week to get an Oscar nomination but do you think that this is a bad sign for its chances to win Best Picture maybe?
0: Uh, potentially. I mean, yeah, I, I, I admit that I am a little surprised to not see it get in the, the ensemble category. Um, because I think it does, you do have a better case for, um, on, an ensemble there than you do again for a movie like Bombshell or, or, um, The Irishman. But I... I think it's going to depend on bombshell. Like I think this movie is going to be the spoiler at the Oscars. If there is going to be one, because I think that the other four movies like the Irishman parasite once upon a time in Hollywood and Jojo rabbit, I think those movies are going to get nominated for best picture. Um, And, you know, maybe all four potentially have a good shot at winning um, best picture as well Um, with marriage story being sort of the fifth one in there that, um, that maybe has a good chance, but I think it will depend on Bombshell. If Bombshell gets a Best Picture nomination at the Oscars, then maybe that True. will be like the – then maybe that's your top five right there, and maybe Marriage Story falls to sort of the, the back half of the, the list of nominees there in terms of likelihood to win. So I, I don't know. I, like I said, I think it's going to depend on, on Bombshell. I, I still think that Marriage Story has a good shot. But for me, from the beginning, I think I've had it behind The Irishman and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in terms of likelihood of winning.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's fair. And if it, obviously, I think that that is what this evidence is saying. Just by nominations, we'll see how the awards shake out. I mean, maybe you know, Marriage Story wins in every category that's nominated, and then you're just like, well, maybe maybe this doesn't matter at all. Who knows? Uh, but we'll see. We'll yeah. see. I think the only last thing uh, to, worth mentioning, and this is. Less of a what does it mean for other implications further down the line and in uh, in the award season and more just like I don't I clearly have no concept of what this category means is the outstanding performance by a stunt ensemble in a motion picture category so much, yes. which the nominees for which are Avengers Endgame, Ford versus Ferrari, The Irishman, Joker, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I will give them Avengers Endgame and Ford versus Ferrari. Those are stunt movies, but the irishman joker i mean like once upon a time in hollywood maybe i'll like i'll give him a pass on that one but like it just shows it because
0: there's a literal stunt you know the character is a stunt man of of yeah like does
1: like like, is there even a stunt actor or actress doing anything in joker what like what is there like yeah i just don't (laughs) understand like i i didn't even know there were stunt there were stunt doubles in that film like what what are they doing
0: it's absurd especially when you consider you know the big movie that got left out which was john wick chapter three which yeah. you know probably is should win this category not just be nominated
1: yeah i mean definitely a contender and then like even the irishman like just yeah. because they've de-aged you know is 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 like 80 year old robert de niro kicking a guy on the side of a street is that a stunt that counts for it is when you're 80
0: years old (laughs) yeah i guess maybe when you're 80 years old and you tell me how hard
1: it is okay check back in 55 56 years and we can can do a special episode of the podcast to discuss uh you know to do a post-mortem on that um but yeah no that, that category just seemed absurd i don't even know what the point of it is i don't know what they're trying to accomplish by it because i haven't heard anyone be like yeah The Irishman, Joker, big contenders for stunt ensemble. Everyone's making fun of this. I don't understand.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, people have been begging the Oscars for years to add a stunt category. Uh,
1: category, yeah.
0: Yeah. And this makes me think, maybe they shouldn't because it's (laughs) just going to be something else for people to get mad about.
1: Best choreography in a film. The Irishman, Joker, Parasite. Even that would be a better pick for this category. Yeah. I you mean, know, somebody
0: had to roll down the stairs, right? Like, uh, like the housekeeper. Or what's exactly, the uh, housekeeper does?
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Anyway, that's all I had to say on that. I think we'll close out today's episode with a couple trailers. First, uh, the big Lin-Manuel Miranda driven trailer in the Heights. It's a musical. Uh, it's being directed by John Chu, the director of uh, Crazy Rich Asians. Scott, what were your thoughts on this?
0: This movie looks great, Scott. Um, I... I'm a fan of the musical, not as much as I am a fan of Hamilton, but um, I think that this maybe makes for a better movie than Hamilton will. Um, and it looks like it's just got the perfect, it's got it's got the, the right spirit for the story and the cast looks great, right? they they got people who can actually sing. Um, Anthony Ramos, who is playing the the lead, Usnavi, in, in The Heights, he actually, I believe, took over for Lin-Manuel Miranda in in Hamilton on Broadway and maybe possibly did the same thing in, in the Heights um, as Usnavi. But either way, he has, he has been in the show on stage at, in some capacity, um, I believe. Um, and so that, um, that is encouraging. And also even the, even the people that you recognize, like Jimmy Smits, he can actually sing. Um, so I think that this is going to be an awesome musical, which is good because we haven't had a great one in, a bit since La and probably.
1: Yeah. So I, I don't know if I'm not hundred percent sure whether he replaced a uh, Lin-Manuel or Miranda in either production, either in, in the Heights or Hamilton. He was in both. However, I think that he may have just been in the cast of Hamilton with Lin-Manuel Miranda. I'm trying to look on his uh, Wikipedia page right now. Yeah. So yeah. So he played Sunny de la Vega uh, for one of the regional productions of in the Heights, uh, so I think Sonny is the father of Usnavi. Oh, interesting. Okay, I'm not 100 percent sure. Um, I'm not fa- I'm not familiar enough with the musical. And then he played Philip Hamilton in Hamilton in the Richard Rogers Theater. So like, while it looks like while Lin-Manuel Miranda was still in the production, and that's and that is Alexander Hamilton's son. So exactly, yeah. So that's what I was gonna say. So maybe maybe Sunny is his son, not his father. Then I don't. I'm just not familiar enough with, okay. with the character. For some reason, I
0: thought he had played the lead, but. Anyway, he can actually sing. He's been in these productions on.
1: Yeah. On so, Sun, so Sunny is Usnavi's uh, cousin. Okay. So, yeah, um, yeah. Cool. So he's been in their productions. He clearly has a relationship with Lin Manuel Miranda. And I'm with you, Scott. I think this this trailer looked fantastic. Uh, I'm not familiar at all with this musical. Haven't listened to its music before. I haven't seen it, but uh, really excited for this production. This looks like a really great production, um, and it looks like it's really just capturing the spirit of what the musical is also trying to capture which is of course uh sort of the uh the feeling of life in is it washington heights is that where it is uh in new york city Mm -hmm. and so
0: and particularly among the dominican community
1: yeah, yeah yeah that that particular community and and going out of its way to cast people who can sing and people who can represent that culture better than you know your a-list superstars might necessarily be able to and you know we talk about that all the time whenever we get the chance that that is our preferred way of going about casting films absolutely there you go i think the other big trailer which actually came out today so just added a late addition to our to our rundown here and that is the top gun maverick trailer Uh, we did get a brief tease coming out of was it comic-con or or somewhere we got yeah about 30 seconds of footage uh, and and this felt like more of the same in a good way, but more of the same in terms of just getting two and a half minutes of footage. Uh, you, we don't, we, we were both talking off air about how we don't really feel like we've gotten any more information about the film other than the fact that it's kind of what you, everyone would have expected or wanted from a Top Gun sequel.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm glad that the trailer doesn't show too much because I think that trailers do show too much in general nowadays. Like, uh, for example, I just saw black Christmas and literally if you watch the trailer for this movie, you could see who the, the culprit is and in the, in the trailer, like they don't even try to hide it. Um, like, so it, it's, it's pretty dumb, but one of the many dumb things about that film, but anyway, I, I'm glad that we're not seeing very much of this. Um, basically we're getting like a snippet of the plot, kind of that Tom Cruise is teaching these cadets, um, I'm assuming that like Miles Teller and Glenn Powell and some of these actors that we know are in the film are going to be among the cadets. Probably um, we see there's like a scuffle at one point between Tom Cruise and some of them. Um, and then mostly we just see, you know, a bunch of flying action and um, Tom Cruise being Tom Cruise. So, um, yeah, this this looks great. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, I don't have much of a connection to the first movie other than just having seen it one time, but
1: I'll see anything with the old TC in it. Yeah, I think that a couple of the characters that I don't know if we really even saw them. If well, I think we maybe saw them briefly, but you do get a quick snap of John Hamm, who hopefully will play right. a more interesting character in this film than in Richard Jewell. And was it Ed Harris as well? Uh, in there, maybe Val was Val Kilmer? No,
0: Val Kilmer. No, he didn't show up in the trailer, I don't
1: think. Okay, no, I was looking at the cast list. Um, Jennifer Connolly, I think, is going to be his love interest i don't know it's hard to tell it, it seemed like it at least but anyway it was very much an atmospheric trailer i kind of feel similarly to how i felt about the no time to die trailer to this one where i'm just like this is already kind of what i expected this trailer to be and it seems like it's going to be a you know that thing like a, a top gun sequel with tom cruise uh, i saw like john roca on twitter saying that like this like tom cruise looks amazing in this role i'm like i don't understand how you can say anything about this movie is going to be amazing from this trailer because, because
0: it's tom cruise
1: like well yeah that's for when sure he, When he
0: appears on screen i say wow tom cruise
1: is amazing in that role yeah i mean that's basically what he was doing and i was just like dude like i'm sure I don't, tom cruise I don't is for that. tom cruise is going to be amazing in this role but it wasn't we don't know that because of the trailer is what i'm saying yeah. um but anyway no, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. We have a very hot summer of releases next summer and we're starting to get some of those trailers. Like talked about black widow, talked about wonder woman 1984 and talking about top gun Maverick, uh, only more to come. I can't wait to get that footage. Did
0: we talk them. about wonder woman 1984, because I just want to say I loved that trailer and the use of blue Monday in that trailer, the song was, maybe
1: we didn't talk about
0: phenomenal. it. Phenomenal. That's, that's all I have to say about it. I mean, I, I think the movie looks good, but, um, the use of the song in that trailer was incredible. It wasn't just that it was like a cool song to set everything to, but they like actually synced up like the action of the trailer to like the certain beats of the song. And I loved it.
1: Yeah. I thought the trailer was good. We didn't actually talk about it. So thanks. We'll segue into a third trailer here. Uh, And I just freaking hate that. Like Chris Pine is back in this movie. Yeah. Like I know it's part of the plot. Well, I mean, I know it's part of the plot with like whatever's going on with, is it Maxwell Lord or Pedro? Sorry, yeah. the Mandalorians. Yeah, uh, Pedro character, yeah. <laughs> yeah, in this film. Um, I don't know what's going on there. I hope they do that. I hope they do that right because, man, Chris Pine was not a good part of the first Wonder Woman movie. And I hope they don't fall into the same trap in, in the sequel because Kristen Wiig looks interesting. Yeah, like it has a lot of potential, but uh you know we are on air i believe and on the record saying that we thought that the original wonder woman although one of the best in the dceu is overrated uh in in it praise yeah. yeah 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 but you know i'm i'm hopeful of its expectations because gal gadot remains like the the shining star in the dceu or at least of that original uh group of Of members of the DCEU and I have a lot of hope and faith in in her and yeah and a lot of faith in Patty Jenkins to to create something that could be worthwhile as long as they just don't get lost in the weeds of this Steve Trevor character
0: yeah and it does look like from like the very final scene that you see in the trailer that like it's kind of going to be the reverse of the first movie right because you got in the first movie you had a lot of like Steve Trevor showing um showing Wonder Woman showing Diana around like the world that she finds herself in. And in the, in the, in the post credit scene, sort of in the trailer, we see sort of uh, the opposite of that, which is like Diana pointing out like what a trash can is to, to Steve. So I, the, the role reversal there could be an interesting way to like actually make something of the Steve Trevor character.
1: Yeah, I agree. That could be really interesting. Especially because <sighs> it seems like he's kind of being like, brought, essentially he's being brought back to life Yeah, uh, by this Maxwell Lord character I'm not right. super familiar with it, with him but uh, something something's going on there but anyway I think that uh, should do it I'll let you close us out here
0: sure yeah so thank you for listening to this episode of Some like it Scott Scott where can we find you on Twitter at shelton 2013 and you can find me at scarvy dent uh, thanks again for listening we hope you have enjoyed this episode if you have and you'd like to support us uh, don't forget about our patreon page patreon.com slash media plug pods Even if you can't support us over there, uh, support us by liking, rating, reviewing, doing all the things on your preferred podcast app. Um, Check out the Star Wars Countdown, which we just finished up with the Last Jedi episode coming out this past weekend. Um, And speaking of Star Wars, uh, please join us next week. Uh, Jay Habib will be joining us once again uh, for a roundtable discussion of the movie of the year, Star Wars Episode Nine. The Rise of Skywalker. Join us then. Uh, Until then, for Scott Shelton, I'm Scott Harvey. We'll see you next time.
1: Movie of the year is Avengers Endgame. Everyone calm down. Thanks for listening. Canceled.